the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today is the third Sunday of a tour, and the readings of this month have to do with the Holy Scriptures taking root in our lives so that we become tr a true followers of Jesus Christ, since we're all called to be Christian. And today's Gospel reading emphasizes this calling and shows us the amazing uh, extent of that call that we should all be His disciples so that He can give us honor to be agents of uh, good agents of uh, blessedness and blessing towards uh, everyone else in the world as he calls us to be lights of the world and salt of the earth. So what does it mean to be a disciple since he calls us to be his disciple? In short, it means that we are, as to his disciples, to place all of our affections and love towards our Lord Jesus Christ, all of our thoughts and all of our focus, and, the, and He is indeed the center of our life, not anything else. He's the only one that's worthy of our love and the only true home for our love. <coughs> all of the things, though they may deceptively glitter in attractiveness, such as like, for example, money or the approval of other people, but in the end, the, such affection towards these things only causes misery because money can never give us peace or happiness and neither can we ever appease or make happy uh, the approval of people. But placing our love in our Lord Jesus Christ only produces good things for our life. And in the end, it leads to, of course, eternal salvation. Every believer, though, is called to be a disciple. As we see, there is criteria, as he mentions here in the Gospel today, criteria for being a, dis a disciple. First, it begins with baptism, believing in the Lord and being baptized in the name of the Trinity. As he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. And we learn that this is exactly what the apostles did. They went out into the world, they baptized, and they made disciples of all people. Not disciples of themselves, although we call them the disciples of the apostles, but they ultimately are disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ directly. As it says in Acts chapter 14, for example, Paul and Barnabas preached the gospel in, in that city and made many disciples. So discipleships then begins with faith, and then we proceed to baptism and observing the things that Christ commanded us to continue in, in that grace that we received. Another criteria for discipleship is loving one another. As our Lord Jesus Christ says in John chapter 13, Love one another as I have loved you, that you also may love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So love is an important criteria to be the disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is a test of our lives. Do we love those around us, even those who maybe cause us problems? Or has bitterness maybe slipped in when we weren't looking? Let's remember God's tremendous love for us so that we can love others as well and be His disciples. Discipleship also requires us to have a transformation in our lives, that type of transformation that appears in our daily lives, in our speech, in our disciplines, in our dealings with each other, in our prayer life, in our forgiveness of others, in our giving towards others who need it. If you abide in my word, as our Lord Jesus Christ says, you are my disciples indeed. Abiding in His Word is a critical criteria for us to be His disciples, not just to hear His words, but to abide in His words. In other words, to perform the things that He has commanded us to do. 
<clears throat> so ultimately, Christian discipleship to our Lord is one that's not just a theory or a title, some, but some like something in like the sky or something. It's actually practical. It's actually applicable in our very way of life in every aspect of our life. It requires a practical type of courage to be willing to put God first in everything in our life, before others, even our families, even our friends, um, even before our own lives, with no turning back. And we find those who do such a thing, have they gain a healthier family. So those who put Christ before their family have a healthier family. They have stronger relationships and purer relationships and a truly blessed and fulfilling life. And it seems like a paradox, right? It's an amazing type of paradox. And it's a lovely type of paradox. Matthew 16, 25, he says, For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And he says today, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, his mother, his wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple, as he says in Luke chapter 14. How can, in the same sentence, one lose his life and gain it? and find it. It seems like a, a contradiction that he says it even in the same sentence. This is because when we put our lives in Christ's hands, he gives us life more abundantly. When we try to accumulate life for ourselves in a selfish manner, we lose our life. We lose our life and we lose ourselves in the process. But the more we put Christ first and the more we put ourselves in Christ's hands, then we find life even more amazingly uh, blessed. He blesses our lives, He multiplies it, He enhances our lives. And this is the same thing with our relationships. When we put Christ first in our relationships, then all of our relationships become blessed and even more fully and more enjoyable. Um, I love the quote by St. Augustine who says, We love God for His own sake, and we love each other for His sake as well. So we love God for His sake, we love each other for God's sake. We don't love each other for our own sakes because we're, we're human, right? We make mistakes. We will eventually let each other down. But when we love each other for Christ's sake, that love for each other is founded on something solid and that relationship thrives. This is the foundation of discipleship, that we should be wholeheartedly, not halfway, but wholeheartedly decided and dedicated to follow our Lord Jesus Christ, not halfway about it, with no turning back. Unlike the examples in today's story that our Lord says, that we just read, of those who turn back are not committed. For example, the man who tried to build a tower, and he does not commit 100% and runs out of money halfway through the project, and that tower is not built, and he's now full of ridicule, and people are making fun of him. So halfway through construction, he, he, lost, uh, he, he couldn't continue the project. Or, for example, the king going out to war and fails because he didn't commit enough men to battle. We have to do opposite of this. We have to commit all of our being to following Christ. Christianity requires us to not half-step our commitment to our Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be all in, and we need to be in it to win it, as the saying goes. And if we trust the Lord, which we do, of course, the Lord will give us all that we have given to Him, and in greater measure.
And on top of that, he will use us as agents to doing good in the world. As we read today, we're to be called, we're called to be the salt of the earth, salt um, flavoring the world. It's a beautiful analogy to flavor the world with goodness. But if we've lost that quality of salt, that flavor that salt has and become like the rest of the world in its bland, blandness or flavorless taste, then we become like salt that has lost its flavor, as he mentions today. And that kind of salt is not worthy for the dunghill, but it's, it's just to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Our Lord says, salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, how then shall it be seasoned? It is then fit for the, it is then fit for the land, nor the dunghill, but men throw it out. And in the Gospel of St. Matthew, after giving them the Beatitudes, he also says something similar to us being the salt of the earth, flavoring the world with goodness, being an agent of the Holy Spirit. He says in Matthew 5, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses flavor, how shall it be sinned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out. And in Matthew, he adds, You are also the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So then we're called to be salt of the earth and the light of the world. This is what he means believers to be. He wants all believers to be like this, enlightening the world and flavoring the world with the teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit will use us as his agents. This is a very encouraging and very flattering thing that God gives to us, that he wants to use us as lights of the world and salt of the earth. And he does so, of course, because he loves us so much. And that our mission as the body of believers is global. It's the salt of the earth, not go and flavor this town or this city or this country like the prophets of old. In the Christian era, we are now global, right? Our mission is global. We're to, wherever we're at, salt the earth, giving flavor to the world and enlightening the world. And wherever we find ourselves throughout the world, in the current place, whenever time, wherever the body of Christ finds itself in time, um, like us today in 2023 in San Diego, California. I'm sure the apostles who knew that, you know, they didn't even know about a place called San Diego, California, right? And so, but this verse applies to us, right? We're here halfway across the world where this gospel was written, and yet we are finding it very applicable in our life to be salt of the earth and light of the world. We are to season and preserve the place and time that we exist in like sight, like salt and darken uh, and brighten all the dark places that we live in. And of course, there's many dark places that we live in. Many of us can't even fathom this kind of calling that we have. We can't wrap our head around it to comprehend such a noble calling that God has called us to, to be salts of the earth and light of the world, um, as it was for the apostles and fathers and mothers before us who have who have uh, struggled so much to bring the message of our Lord Jesus Christ to us today. Many of us forget this amazing calling. We need to remind ourselves of the majestic place our Lord Jesus Christ has placed us. But if we don't live up to this calling to be salt and to be light, then we are cast away and become useless like a lamp under a basket or like the salt that loses its flavor. St. John Chrysostom mentions the ascending graces 
received at baptism, which are to be maintained and renewed in our life. And we see that the end of this, these ascension, ascending graces is to be used as agents of the Holy Spirit. First, we receive freedom from the consequences of sin. We receive forgiveness of sins. But we also receive holiness of Christ. We put on Christ and we receive the holiness of Christ. We become justified in our Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that, we become his children. And since we are his children, we become his heirs to all of his amazing promises that he's given to us. But we're also becoming, as part of baptism, we become his brothers and sisters. We become the siblings of Christ. And as his siblings, we become joint heirs of Christ. And we'll even allow, he'll even allow us to sit on his throne uh, and crowns us with his heavenly honors if we endure. But not only that, he gives us these ascending graces. He promises us to become members of his body which, of course, his body conquers death, and we too will conquer death. And we become temples of the Holy Spirit, which takes what is Christ and gives us what is Christ and declares it to us. And finally, we, we become instruments of the Holy Spirit, like the salt of the earth or the light of the world. If we contemplate on these graces, if we contemplate on the place that our Lord Jesus Christ has placed us in, that we all receive at baptism, or about to receive as some of us. We will arrive at this amazing place that God has put us in. The other things of the world that we have, those temporary things that give us temporary joy, pale in comparison to this. But we have to constantly remind ourselves where God has placed us. Most of us hardly think of past the first couple of the graces that we receive in baptism. But when we actually think it through, it's much greater than just forgiveness of sins. What God offers us is so much more. I love the quote by St. Cyril of Alexandria, and I know I've quoted it a few times, <clears throat> who says that the message of Christianity runs the risk of being disbelieved because it is so incredibly wonderful, because it's so amazing. Some people will think it's too good to be true, but it is true. Our Lord invites us to consider and understand this greatness that is offered to us. Because our life with God ascends to be His children, to even members of his body, and finally instruments of the Holy Spirit to be agents of good in the world that we live in. And the rewards, of course, are more than just evading corruption and the decay of this world, it's much more. God gives us rewards that are very difficult to even comprehend. God wants us to enjoy this calling because he loves us. But sometimes we have placed our affections and our hopes in things contrary to this amazing and majestic calling. We place it in ourselves. We're very uh, egocentric. We, or we place it in our riches or, or our relationships or in other worldly things that are so temporary and will fail us when we need them the most. And so sometimes God allows us to face challenges in our lives to teach us to let go of these things that will provide no good end to us so that we can embrace the calling we received at baptism. Some call this the divine chastisement, the chastisement of the Lord, as a loving father disciplines his children for their benefit, so God allows us to go through challenges as well, so we can let go of the things that bring us to destruction and embrace the things that lead us to eternal life. And though it may sting, these chastisements that God gives to us, and though they may sting, once we let go of these things and realign our love towards Christ, we realize what God has given to us is so much better.
So let's willingly and voluntarily commit our, our hearts to Christ above all else, above everything else, and this will be precious to Christ. For whoever, as he says, whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That despite all that the Christian gives up, and sometimes it is indeed painful to give up those things, they are restored many times over once we do so. God grant us the enlightenment to see what the Lord calls us to, to give up pales in comparison to what he offers us in return. That to be his disciple, disciples all of us, and his agents to add flavor to the world and light to a darkened world is a wonderful calling for all of us to share in different measures to the glory of his name forever. Amen.